Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of our podcast, Is Breakfast Included? How are you guys doing? Good? Good. That is great. I'm coming to you today from sunny London, England. I'm actually lying. It's not sunny. It was sunny the other day, but today it's not. Anyway, today on the show, I have a very special guest. I'm pretty stoked about this. You may have seen her on One Day at a Time, uh, the Disney Channel, so weird. Her first movie at 12 years old was American Graffiti. She's been in a host of shows. I'm talking about the one and only Mackenzie Phillips. Uh, she took time out of her extremely busy day of what she's doing now to give me a few minutes and talk to me. And I learned so much about her. I thought I knew a lot about her, but I learned so much about her. And she learned a little bit about me. But the most important thing about today's interview is I learned what Mac likes for breakfast. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with this. I hope she did too. I'm going to let you check it out. Great. Let's, you, let's hit it. You ready? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, you really don't have to introduce yourself, but I'm going to ask you to tell everyone who you are anyway. Okay. Go right ahead. Right now? Was that your ask? Yes. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, my name is Mackenzie Phillips. Hi, Bernie. Hi, Mackenzie. Or should I call you Mac? Everyone has referred to you as Mac on, on the... You can, you can call me Mac. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Uh, thanks again for doing this. Um, you have had this amazing, kind of diverse career, but we're going to start with what you're doing now and then circle back around. Is that cool? Yeah, that's great. All right. I, I, I work at a, a drug and alcohol treatment facility, really a subacute trauma center called Breathe Life Healing Center here in Los Angeles, California. I am the director of referral relations. I'm sitting here in my office um, uh, on Melrose Avenue, right near the corner of Crescent Heights. And um, we do great work here, working with people who have substance use disorders, eating disorders, and mental health issues. So we have a really good program, and I really love the work that I do. Right on. How long have you been doing this? I've been at Breathe a little over six years, uh, working at Breathe. And then prior to that, I was working at another facility. You know, when I was a little kid, you know, my dad was Papa John of the Mamas and the Papas. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of, you know, crazy stuff going on all around me when I was just this little tiny girl. And I would look around and I would think, what makes people do the things they do? What drives behavior? And I was always, even as a very small child, I was an observer of behavior. And I knew that that what was going on around me was inappropriate, you know, for a five, six, seven-year-old girl. And, I, and as a result of, you know, my upbringing or updragging, if you will, <laughs> um, uh, I kind of got really curious about what makes people do the things they do. And that led to a lifelong fascination with behavioral health. And, you know, the acting train pulled into town when I was 12 years old and I did American graffiti. And, you know, I rode that train in the direction it was going for many, many years and had a very successful career. But I always was curious about, and, you know, I, frankly, I mean, I've been to treatment myself many times for substance use disorder. And the last time I went to treatment, I thought, you know what? I'm 50 at the time. That was 
12, almost 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I am going to shift gears and go in the direction of passion as opposed to the direction of what people might expect of me. So I went back to school to become a counselor and wondered if anyone would hire me. And I, I got a job almost immediately and started working as a counselor on the front lines battling this monster that is substance use. Yeah. And I've been doing that for years. But e even while doing this work, you know, I was in New York for four months a couple years ago, uh, appearing on Orange is the New Black. I have autonomy. I can come and go and I can do the work, you know, go on a book tour or do a TV show or something like that. But really, I come home to where my heart lives, which is here at Breathe Life Healing Center. So that's the uh, sort of long, long form, short version of how I ended up in this field. All right. See, we could end there. You just, <laughs> you just said, um, let's back up a little. You said as growing up, you were observing like what was going on in your family and, and for a child to see all these things. Do you believe in the, um, what, I guess it, it, it would be like nature or nurture. Is it, is it kind of bred into you or do you learn it as you get well, older? I kind of believe in a, in a genetic predisposition to, uh, addiction you know, it's sort of hardwired into my family tree. Uh -huh. I mean, if I look back, you know, pretty much everyone in my family was either alcoholic, at addict, or, you know, suffering from some sort of undiagnosed mental health condition. And, you know, and so nature versus nurture, I don't know. All I know is that I'm sitting there and, you know, Barry McGuire walks in with his feet painted green because he can't find his shoes. <laughs> Donovan is sliding down the banister teaching me how to cook uh, uh, bake pot brownies, you know, and I'm, you know, uh, sitting there like, you know, going, oh, this is so fun. But I didn't really know that at that time that, you know, not every kid was experiencing the same kind of stuff that I did. But I lived with my mom in the, in the Valley, the San Fernando Valley uh -huh. during the week, but I spent the weekends at my dad's houses and it was like going to Disneyland, you know, it was always wild and unpredictable. And, you know, you could find yourself sitting in a room with Chuck Barris and Mick Jagger and Graham Parsons and you're 11, wow. you know, and then you go back home to mom in the valley who wants you to sit up straight like the queen and know which fork to use and never wear white after Labor Day because it's unladylike. So uh, I kind of grew up in this, you know, this uh, dual type of way where, you know, uh, anything goes over at, at dad's house. But with mom, you had to toe the line and do your homework and be a good girl and tuck your shirt in and not smoke cigarettes or you know, uh, weed or take acid. And, you know, but of course I was doing all of those things at the age of, you know, 12 years old and um, didn't really consider, but who does, you know, the arrogance of youth consider that these things would have serious repercussions in my, you know, young adult life and my adult life. Mm -hmm. I just thought I was having fun. You know, it was like, Oh my God, you know, my dad was, um, basically uh you know a narcissist and 
And, um, you know, if you were a Phillips, you could do whatever you wanted. The rules didn't apply. But, you know, uh, that's that's a, an illusion because the rules apply to everyone. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I kind of had to learn the hard way uh, that uh, behavior has consequences. Yeah. Um, you you've in the past, you've been ex- even now in the present, you've been extremely open about your uh, your addiction and your trauma and how you've at what point what was the what was the tipping point that made you tell yourself like I don't want to be in and out of rehabs like I don't want to go and then come out and be clean for a minute and then say oh it's okay a drink here and there is not going to hurt what was the tipping point well you know I, I, there were several but really the main Tipping point was you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a wake up like, call, right? Right. And it's like, because, you know, all my life I was like, oh my God, I feel so bad for people like Robert Downey Jr. who end up, you know, in the system. And that never happened to me. And then, then, and it did. And I was like, oh crap, you know what? Because I had had like 10 years of sobriety here, a couple years there. And then in August of 2008, I was on my way to New York for a one day at a time reunion, the TV show that I grew up on, mm-hmm. on, the, on the Rachel Ray show. And, you know, the whole cast was flying in and I got popped at LAX for felony possession of heroin and cocaine and, you know, carted away in handcuffs. And as I'm sitting there like chained to a bench in the Van Nuys courthouse, I'm thinking, okay, Phillips, you better pull your shit together because this, you are now in the system and all of the treatment you've gone to and all the time that you've had clean in the past, you missed a spot. You better figure out what that spot was that you missed that is keeping you from flourishing and thriving and, and clean that shit up and pull it together. Because I had a 21-year-old son, I was 49 years old, and I was handcuffed to a bench. And people were walking, you know, cops were walking by going, is that the lady from one day at a time? <laughs> look, look, look at her, she's chained to a bench. And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, pardon me, I'm chained <laughs> to a bench. Uh, can I swear on your show? Oh, you could I've totally swear. Okay. So I just knew that I needed to get it together. And so I went back to treatment. I um, was on informal probation, you know, because I I got a deferred entry of judgment. I had a really good lawyer and also I was considered a first offender. So I was on informal probation for 18 months. And then, you know, my record was um, clean. So I had to get clean. And I think uh, I think it was, you know, I mean, like I said, I'd had 10 years of recovery, but yeah. I must have missed something because, you know, and people always say, oh, how long have you been sober? And I'm like, well, if I really believed that length of time sober had anything to do with wellness, I would tell you. But, you know, a family member of mine wouldn't have relapsed after 18 years if 18 years was the key. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. Because people are always, you know, saying, well, you know, I mean, I've been clean, you know, 500 years. Yeah, but it's not how long you've been doing it. It's what you've been doing with the time. Yeah. You know, so I just knew I had to 
do something different. And that's really, frankly, when I sort of pivoted and, and went back to school and um, started working in treatment. So up until then, you had never been in the system. If you got popped with something, it was just like, eh. Well, I was arrested at 18 for public intoxication. Mm-hmm. But again, it was wiped off my record. Um, and, you know, that was, that was, so, so I, I had been arrested, but it wasn't on my record. So I considered myself someone who wasn't part of the system. But then. Did you ever you consider know, yourself untouchable? Yes. I mean, who else would go through airport security with three grams of heroin foil wrapped in their pocket? And then you set off the thing. You know, you set off the the metal detector and you're like, okay, now I'm really in trouble. I am really, really in trouble. Um, A lot of the issues that you faced growing up, um, you know, the drugs just readily there. The craziness. Uh, do you think that still exists with with young Hollywood, the way it did with you, or is I there more? Is there more of a a, a firewall extent. there to protect? I would imagine to a certain extent, sure. I mean, I don't know, but I would think. Yeah, I think people are are. Um, you know, obviously, people are still getting high. Yeah, people are still. Yeah, I don't know about young Hollywood. I mean, I'm I'm. You know, I'm old Hollywood now. I'm 62. <laughs> You'll always be young Hollywood to me. Well, thank you, Bernie. <laughs> um, have you ever heard a story of a like a, a young celebrity where it makes you feel like reaching out to them? You know, all the time. And have you ever done that? I never have. You know, I mean, I've gone. You know, like when someone got arrested, like you know, maybe seven or eight years ago when someone got arrested or someone died of an overdose for a while there, you know, all the news outlets, I was sort of like, let's get McKenzie to comment on this. And then I realized, Oh my God, I'm commenting publicly on someone's darkest moment. And I'm not going to do that anymore. Mm. You know, so I stopped feeling those calls, but you know, working in treatment um, on a daily basis, I get to make a difference in a, in a way that is meaningful. And so, you know, the, I'm not going to say anybody's names, but the, you know, who's of the world who struggle with substance use. And we read about them all the time. I don't know that them talking to me would be helpful, but I don't, I mean, I've never done it. No, no, I I guess it's, uh, I, I, I came from a similar background without the famous father and Donovan hanging out on the couch um, that you did. Like I saw a lot of crazy shit when I was a kid, shit that kids shouldn't see, you know? And um, I think when I was young, I kind of made that call to myself that, yeah, I don't, it was my way of rebelling by doing the exact opposite that was going on at home. So, um, I was going somewhere with that. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, when 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 you see that, when you see that in someone, uh, do you automatically assume it's like a, well, it's some kind of trauma from when they were kids or growing up, which is making them do that? I I grew up a lot. I I 
my attitude a lot, and, and I hope this doesn't offend you, my attitude growing up was like, you know, it's mind over matter. You just choose not to do it, and you don't, you don't fucking do it. And I know it's in me because I wanted to get high when I was a teenager. I wanted to get drunk when I was a teenager. Hell, I still do, but I just don't. I took my first drink at 35, my, or at 34, my last drink at 35. That's how long it took me to, to drink alcohol. And I had that attitude a lot. I had no sympathy for people. But as I got older, I, I realized that, you know, I'm an anomaly. <laughs> you are an anomaly. You know, you know and I have a 35 year old son named Shane and he too is an anomaly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel like maybe, you know, you, that people always talk about breaking the cycle of abuse and neglect, trauma and addiction. And, you know, Shane's a normal guy. Like he smokes a little weed. He'll drink a white claw. You know, he's not, he, he's never smoked a cigarette. He's never done a hard drug. He's like, I'm just not interested. I just know you know, I think, you, you know, there are people who go, look, I know that I have a proclivity, you know, taking my family history into consideration. So I'm not going there. I'm not going to do it, you know, like you and Shane. And then there are people like me who didn't even occur to me to not do it. It was like, this is my legacy. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is how we do it. And I don't want to disappoint by not doing it. Well, I don't know about, I mean, I didn't think of, I didn't ever think about not doing it because I mean, if we are products of our environment, I certainly am uh, proof and, you know, and so are you in the exact reverse. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so interesting to think about that. Yeah. Well, um, let's jump on to your career. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Let's get away from that <laughs> just for a minute. We'll probably come back to that. Uh, you've been a guest star on all kinds of. Uh, but before I start this, I'm going to pre-correct and use the word iconic a lot. Uh, you've been a guest star on a lot of iconic shows: The Love Boat, uh, The Incredible Hulk, 90210, Melrose Place, and the list goes on. Right. Do you ha was anyone like on a list that you're like, I'm just doing this because I want to be on this show? I mean. You know, or was it all work? <laughs> it was all work because, like, with an actor, it's either feast or famine, you know, unless you are in the higher echelons. Like, you know, I was, I had a series for nine years and then I had a Disney Channel series for three years, but I did a lot of, you know, I was sort of, I called it episodic hell. Mm -hmm. You know, I was sort of in get the perennial guest star. And I did that, you know, for so many years and made a great living doing it. I mean, I'm not knocking it because it was really fun. Um, and you know, being on NYPD blue twice, that's cool. You know, Chicago hope, um, uh, you know, all those different shows that I did back then. Um, it was great. I mean, I was young and, uh, you know, employed and clean and working in the industry that I chose had chosen or, or that chose me. I'm not exactly sure when I was a little girl, you know, and I know so many, people like me who um, are still fighting to get hired as an actor. And I want to shake them and say, yes, still search out that, but find something you're passionate about so that you're not constantly consumed with the idea of 
uh, maybe you have this thought that if I'm not an actor, I'm who am, yeah. what is my worth? Yeah. You know, because I've created a, 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 a career that is incredible post a really successful acting career. And yet I still have the option now and then to jump back on the screen. I don't actively seek it out like, oh, my God, I've got to get an acting job. I've got to get an acting job. But if it comes along, I'm I'm generally happy to do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we, we all know the story that your first acting gig was American Graffiti. Yes. And uh, how did you land that? I mean, you've probably told this story a million times, but how did you land that? If, if Well, I went to a, a Waldorf school, um, which is like a really interesting kind of education, sort of like a Renaissance education. So I was in school studying, you know, Greek mythology and learning to speak ancient Greek and reading Plato and and uh, Tolstoy in the fifth grade. I mean, it was wild. Mm -hmm. Such a and my son was also a Waldorf kid. He graduated high school from the same school that I went to. Um, but this was the seventies. It was wild. Uh, you know, one of my classmates was Lisa Coleman um, from you know Prince's band, The Revolution. So yeah. Wendy and Lisa were my friends in school. You know, Jonathan Melvoin w was from the Pumpkins. Was in my class, yeah. you know, he was younger than me, but, you know, and uh, Adam Holtzman, what, you know, his dad, I think, was the president of Electra Records. And we put this little band together at school and it was Chris, Laura, at my first name is Laura. Okay. And it was Chris, Laura, Adam and Scott. So it was class, C-L-A-S. <laughs> and we went to the Troubadour on an open mic night. And, you know, I mean, let's see, you know, my dad was there. Lou Adler was there. Uh, Adam Holtzman's dad from Electro Records was there. We were all, but also in the audience was a man named Fred Roos, who was casting American Graffiti. And I was the lead singer. And <laughs> there's, it's just hilarious to think about. But Fred Roos came up to me after the show and said, I think you'd be a great actor. How do you like to audition for a movie? And my mother you know, was very protective. He, she's like, she is 12. Back off. And he goes, no, really, I'm legit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm legit. So I ended up, you know, I mean, I wasn't. I wanted to be a rock star, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I auditioned against 250 other girls and got the job and, you know, and went on to film the movie. Yeah. That's how that came about. Huh. Do you still make music? Um, In my head. <laughs> <laughs> I was on this amazing Disney Channel show. People, anybody out there who has Disney Plus, check out So Weird. I played a mom who was a rock star. And in almost every episode, I got to be the rock star on stage, singing with a guitar, doing that. And it was super fun. And, you know, I mean, I, I consider myself an actor who can sing, not, not a singer who does acting. Yeah. Like, you know, my sister, China Phillips you know, from Wilson Phillips. Yeah. I mean, you know, she's, she's a great singer. I'm a good singer, you know? And so like I've done Broadway and national tours of musical theater and stuff like that. And I toured with my dad in the new mamas and papas for 10 years, traveling yeah. all over the world, playing gigs. So yeah, it was fun. Right on, man. Um, let's talk about one day at a time. Uh, 
another iconic groundbreaking show. At the time, it was kind of unheard of, a show about a single mom raising two kids. And, you know, that was, it wasn't the norm like it is now. It was not the norm. And it was, you know, a Norman Lear show. And, you know, Norman, speak about iconic. I mean, Mm -hmm. he... He was pushing the envelope everywhere with social justice long before that was even, you know, something that that was in the forefront of people's minds. And, you know, and we were depicting a large part of society that was completely underrepresented on television, divorced moms. And so that in itself was like, oh. <gasps> You know, in 1975, you have a divorced mom who's dating and, you know, and her kids or her girls are dating boys and talking about having sex and going on birth control. It was shocking. You know, it was shocking at the time. Yeah. And we had a really, we had a really good run. The show ran for nine seasons and it was, it was fun. I mean, I grew up on that set. Yeah. And you were, you were part of the original, you came back for the reunion and now like you've, uh, stepped into a role on the reboot of One Day at a Time. How yes, does that feel? It's actually sort of a, a reimagining of One Day at a Time um, with a Latino family, mm-hmm. uh, starring Rita Moreno and Justina Machado. And we were on Netflix for three seasons and then Pop TV for one season. And I played a therapist, and it was really fun. <laughs> and did it feel weird walking onto that set? Like, you were part no, of the- it was it was incredible. It was so much fun to be there and working with Norman again. You know, I mean, Norman's about to turn 100. And at the time, he was like 96, 97. And, you know, we just were so overjoyed to be working together again. And, you know, I just it was something I'm forever grateful for to have an opportunity to do that, do work with Norman again. Cool. Um are you still in contact with Valerie Bertinelli? I certainly am. I was with her maybe 10 days ago. Um, Valerie has a cooking show on Food Network mm-hmm. called Valerie's Home Cooking. And every pretty much almost every season, every couple seasons, I'll pop in and we'll cook something together. So we just did that the other day and it'll be in the new season. Cool. Cool. Um, we'll talk about your next show, Orange is the New Black. You were on season six. That was fun. Yeah, your character. Oh, my God. That was a lot. I mean, you know, I was, you know, had been working at Breathe for a long time, at Breathe Life Healing Center for a long time. And then I got the gig, and I I was like, oh, my God, I have to go to New York for four months. And they were like, go, go. You can work from, you know, you, you can work from there. Because a lot of what I do is auditing charts and resolving uh electronic medical charting uh-huh. stuff, which I never thought I would ever be able to do the kind of work that I do now. But apparently there's a huge part of my brain that I never used until I was <laughs> in my 50s. And I'm very good at what I do. But you unlocked it. Exactly. So there I am, you know, in Queens at Kaufman Astoria Studios, where we shot Orange is the New Black. And I'm in my prison uniform, in my dressing room, auditing metal, medical charts on my breaks. Um, it was it was great. I had such a good time. I mean, working with Natasha Leone is probably one of my favorite things ever. I love her, and we had such a great time together. 
I know, and that cast that kind of grew into what it was, you know, when it ended. It was a great cast, and, and your season was actually a really cool season for me. I'm glad. I'm glad. You know, it was it was fun, and it was interesting because I got there, and they were like, oh, your teeth are very white. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Not going like, to work. <laughs> this isn't going to work. You've been in prison for 30 years using drugs and meth. So they... They sent like a dental technician to my house who made an Invisalign that they painted yellow on the inside. And I had to wear that on my top and bottom teeth for every scene so that, you know, like you look at me on that and you're like, what happened to her teeth? That's what happened to my teeth. (laughs) Thanks for explaining that. So anyone who hasn't seen it doesn't go like, ugh. (laughs) Oh, God, she's so gross. (laughs) Um, you have a podcast called America Recovers. America yes. Recovers. I'm sorry. Um, tell me about it, man. I listened to a couple well, of episodes, but you know, we're not currently doing it anymore. But we had one great season, and it was really fun. It was co-hosting with the owner, the founder of Breed Life Healing Center, a guy named Brad Lamb, and um, you know, we had Oprah on, we had Billy Porter on. We had um, just a bunch of really cool people on the show talking about trauma recovery, addiction recovery, and it was really fun. I mean, it was it was a really fun thing to do. Enjoyed it a lot. And how do you how, how does the podcasting compare to other mediums that you've done in the past? You know, film, TV. How do, how does it compare? Like, is is it easy to you? Was it easy to you? It was easy. Yeah, it was, it was something I, 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 I hate to say it, but I'm really good at talking. I'm really good. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm really good at interviewing and I ha- I, I'm interested in what other people have to say. I've always just enjoyed um, talking about recovery, talking about anything really. And so I didn't find it you know, to be tremendously challenging. It was just another function of, um, you know, a skill set, I guess. Yeah. 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 I, I find it difficult. This is the first time I've done this. It was, it was extremely difficult for me to put myself out there. Um, because I have this, this thing in my brain that's like, they're all going to laugh at you. They're all making fun of you. You oh, know? the imposter syndrome. Like, yeah. I don't really belong here. Exactly. But I um, that, I've had that on almost every acting job I've ever gotten. Like, I'll get, I'll arrive on set and I've already had wardrobe fittings. I'm sitting in the makeup chair and I'm thinking, they're going to fire me, <laughs> which makes no sense. That's funny. I, we, before the, before I started recording, we talked about what I do and that's how I go into every show. Like, today's the day I get fired. Like today's yeah. the day I figure out that I don't know what I'm doing. I do know what I'm doing, but it's it's you go into it thinking like, you know, I'm going to do something yeah. tonight that's going to make them just get rid of me. The last 12 years don't mean a thing, you know. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'm screwed. It's over. What am I going to do? I won't be able to feed my kids. Yeah. Um, I when when it was brought to my attention that you would do this, uh, I did a lot of reading about you. I. I you know, I'm familiar with your career, with your your addiction and so forth. And to have you talk about that openly, um, especially the uh, the survivors of trauma, I wanted to 
have somebody on here to talk about that. I, I that's very familiar ground to me. I I haven't been able to talk about it openly, but um, I was listening to your podcast and it really just kind of helped me out over the last couple of days. Wow, really? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So um, anyway, I have a couple more questions for you and then I'm going to let you get about your day. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Bernie. The um, first question is, how would you like to be remembered? What do you want your legacy to be? Um, you know, the first thing that came to mind is I want to be remembered as Shane's mom. Um, literally, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Um, but I, I, I mean, I don't know who sits around and thinks about their legacy. I mean, probably a lot of people, but a lot of people, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I think I would like to be remembered as someone who showed people that you are not the things your family did, that you are not the thoughts that are in your head, that you can be strong and powerful and that you have the, your inherent worth and value as a person is not up for debate. It just is. Each of us has inherent worth and value, even in light of childhood trauma or addiction or substance use. Um, that doesn't dictate our worth or our value. I would like to be remembered as someone who tried to show that on a national level to just try and live it. If that makes sense. It does. It does. That's great. You said something earlier. You mentioned, you said the word, the phrase breaking the cycle. I use that word. I use that pretty much on a daily basis. Like yep. breaking the cycle. Sometimes you have to cut out people, uh, friends, family, whatever to break that. cycle. You really do. You have to be able to be boundaried. I mean, boundaries, I know people throw that word around a lot, but it's really important. It's really important to not allow yourself to go past what boundary you've already set, you know? And if that means, I'm sorry, I can't be around you anymore. That's what it means. No is a complete sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, do you have any social media people can follow you on? Are you? Oh yeah. Um, Instagram at Mac Phillips, M A C K Phillips, not M A C at Mac Phillips, Instagram and Twitter. Okay. Um, my last question, Mac, um, my podcast is called is breakfast included. <laughs> I, and- love, I, I had such a giggle when I saw the title. I totally get it. <laughs> if it was included, what would you have for breakfast? Well, I'm a vegetarian. I would have, it depends. I mean, if we're at a Ramada, I'm not going to get Eggs Benedict, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But if I could choose, I would have Eggs Benedict with spinach instead of Canadian bacon. And I would have some lovely fresh berries on the side. All right on. Like (laughs) I told somebody the other day, there's no wrong answer to that. What would you have, Bernie? I like pancakes. Oh, <laughs> like, I love pancakes. I'm, I'm extremely boring, but I'll eat pancakes everywhere I go. Uh, they're amazing. Do you ever make pancakes at home? Uh, I, I don't make them homemade. Yeah. 
Don't tell my friend Kevin Bledsoe that. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm going to look him up. I'm going to post on the internet. He owns Bledsoe's Bar and Q there on La Brea. Oh. Okay. Anyway, but no, um, yeah, he would he would kill me if he knew I made instant pancakes. But any final hey, words? Look, every time I've made pancakes at home, it is from Pancake Mix. Oh, okay. Just saying. <laughs> okay. Yes. Just add water. That's the best. It's the best. Yep. Um, any final words? Um, thank you. I can tell that you're gentle and kind, and I really have enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your day. I, I said this earlier. I said I was going to get all the fanboy out of the way. I've been a huge fan of yours since I was a kid. Uh, I watched you grow up as I grew up, and to watch you go through your struggles and come out uh just fucking shining you know Thank to you. me is 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 a sign that that there is there it gets better on the other it side gets, of that pain you know yes it does and i think everyone should really realize that so i don't know if that made sense it made perfect sense and thank you for saying that and i'm so happy to have been able to spend some time with you all right. Well, you have a great day, and uh, thanks a lot for doing this. Hopefully, we'll meet someday. I would think that would be awesome. All right. Have a great day. Bye. Too. Bye. Right on. Mackenzie Phillips. How fucking cool was that? I think it was pretty cool myself. I don't know about you. I don't know. You can follow Mac at Mac Phillips on Instagram at Breathe Rehab on Instagram. Check out what they're doing. Uh, get a little serious here. If you need help, get help. Um, it's not, there's nothing to be ashamed about. Um, if you know someone who needs help, you know, reach out to them. See if you can help out with them. Uh, all right, guys, I am done. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you next week.